This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Okay, first, before we go into today's subject matter, I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone that responded to our last podcast. So we talked about manly goal setting, and we talked a lot about why most men don't set goals, why that's a struggle for a lot of guys. And I had a lot of people reach out, a lot of people that I, I didn't even know were listening to the podcast, and they were just telling me, hey, Kyle, you know, I, I looked back at my goals, and based on your podcast, I, I just wanted to make them better, and so they, they let me know that. Uh, it's a lot of guys set goals for the first time, and so one guy who I've known literally since junior high, and he is not a a type of guy that is a goal setter. Let's just say it that way. And he's like, look, I'm setting goals. I'm going to show them to my wife. And uh, I, I sent him mine or I'm going to send him mine so he can see them. And so it was just a really, really good thing uh, for a lot of people. So I'm really glad it worked out that way. And then also it was a big help to me as well because <laughs> I didn't even meet some of my own standards on some of my goals. So some guys very uh, nicely and politely pointed out on some of my goals that they were just like, hey, Kyle, uh, you didn't exactly do a stretch goal in this area. Do you think you can maybe bump that up a notch? So it was good to have that uh, accountability. The one thing that I will tell people is one thing that I did see on some of the goals that some of these guys sent me is that they just weren't quite specific enough. I know we talked about SMART goals and some of the struggles that people have with SMART goals and that I have with SMART goals, but some of the goals were just very nebulous. So they they didn't really say anything. They were pretty squishy. Uh, There just wasn't a whole lot uh, there. So if you are going to set goals, just make sure that you are specific. All right. So today is going to be a fun one. Today is going to be a fun podcast. I know this is going to strike some people the wrong way, and I'm, I'm kind of actually looking forward to it. So um, again, today's uh, episode is called Pussies in the Pews. That just by itself is going to make people a little bit squeamish, but just hang with me. Uh, and I will just say before we get into the content today, my intention today is not to offend anybody for offense's sake. I guess it'd be the best way to say it. So the thing is, is if you are offended by my viewpoint today, and there, there very likely will be a lot of you, or if you're offended in the way that I've described something, um, but you can't prove me wrong, you can't prove that my philosophy is incorrect, then the problem is likely with you and not with me. So today's podcast and really my philosophy on the subject matter that we're talking about today is meant to be a wake-up call. Um, if what I say today makes you uncomfortable perhaps you should try and discover why that is. And and really, if you're still uncomfortable, just stick with me and hear me out. Uh, because the last thing I would want someone to do is within the first five or 10 minutes, hear something they don't like, they turn me off, and then they, they don't really get to the overall point. So I just want to make sure that um, that is clear for a lot of people that just stick, stick with me to the end. And the thing is, is what I'm going to be talking about today, you will not hear what I'm talking about and what I'm going to say from the pulpit on Sundays. Unfortunately, you're just, you're not going to hear that. And you won't hear from many, you know, quote unquote men's ministries either. They they don't really go into some of the areas that I'm going to go. And the thing is, is there's, there's just a revolution that needs to happen within the church and pretty much here at Undaunted Life, we are here to deliver. So, um, the four, the four things that I'm going to look at today or, or the four questions is what is the problem? That's the first one. The second is how did we get here? The third is what is Christ-likeness? And four is how do we redeem ourselves? So first, let's go into what is the problem. So let, let's get right into it. And I frame the problem in the from the perspective of that there are two epidemics going on right now. The first epidemic is of men leaving the church. And the second ec- epidemic is of effeminate men inside the church. Okay, so let's go back to the first epidemic of men leaving the church. So um, if you look at any stats, I mean, there's some stats that haven't been updated in a while, but we can pretty much assume uh, that most of the trends are still going in that direction. But there's a huge chunk of women 
uh, that attend church without their husbands. So they, they are in a marriage relationship and a covenant relationship with a husband, but that husband does not actually attend church with them. So obviously if that is a family where there are children involved, that means that there are children that are going to church without their fathers as well. So, uh, and really whenever you look at this, I guess the, the best case scenario is that the men don't go because they're bored. So, so that's the thing is that when they've gone to church, they've been bored. So they're just like, man, I don't want to go. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, but I guess the, the worst case scenario would be that they're actually being repelled, that it's not really something that maybe they do want to go to church, but they're actually being repelled away from it. And so there's a great quote by David Morrow in his book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I love this quote. It says, the real tragedy is not just that we're losing boys. We are losing the most competitive, aggressive boys. High testosterone boys destined to be leaders and innovators are checking out of the church at a young age. And so we, we look at what's happening with, with young people, and then we look at how it's manifesting with husbands that aren't going to church even with their wives, and you kind of come to this thing where this thought process may be that there's there's a binary choice, that some guys, whether this is correct or incorrect, they feel as if they have a binary choice between, number one, I can be a good church guy, whatever that means, or number two, I can be a real man. That I mean, I either choose to check my balls at the door and then walk inside and do my church thing, or I keep my balls and I go do something that a real man would do. So, I mean, the thing is, is you may look at that as like a very Neanderthalish way of looking at the situation, but you talk to any number of guys, especially guys that are no longer in the church. I mean, you're going to see that to be the case. And, and really the problem is, is we're losing our leaders. A lot of these young boys that you know were in that David Morrow quote that are leaving the church at a young age or leaving as soon as they get to college and get out of their parents' house, these are these are the future leaders of the church. These are the future thought leaders within communities. Um, and, and really, the horrible thing is that the church is doing them no favors because everything within the modern Christian church is telling these men, this is not for you. Like, everything we're doing, this is not for you. We are repelling you. And, you know, we'll get more into some specifics into that later. So uh, moving on to, to the second epidemic, and that's the epidemic of effeminate men inside the church. Uh, the thing about it is men are not being shown a real life version of strong biblical manhood. And I mean, even just as a challenge to you, like if you had to think of a strong biblical manly man, could you immediately come up with somebody? I mean, maybe for some of you, you're, oh, you got to think about somebody and, oh, maybe someone will come from, come to mind that's in your local community. Maybe someone that's actually within your church. Hopefully uh, you think uh, you look in popular culture and, and you're just not going to find people just readily available. But, but that's the thing for men is, is that's what we want. We want to follow strong men. I mean, you just, just look back in history. You have, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and, and Winston Churchill, George Washington, General Patton, uh, Ernst Hemingway, you know, Jack London, just guys like that. And I mean, I guess those are older examples, but even look at modern examples. You got Jocko Willink and Pat Tillman, uh, Chris Kyle, Adam Brown, one of my favorite characters of, of anything ever of Navy SEAL and uh, the subject matter of the Fearless book, which I've recommended before. But that's we want to follow men like that. We want to follow men that have accomplished things. We want to follow men that are changing things for the better. Um, but the problem is, is when you look around the church, you don't see men like that. Like when's the last time you saw someone in the church that was like Jocko Willink, but biblically based, like was, was like Teddy Roosevelt that had that robust manly leadership, but had like sh that strong Christian, 
basis for their lives. Uh, and, and here's the thing. And, and before anyone gets mad, I obviously am not talking about all of these people. It is a case by case basis. But I am saying that a lot of church staff tends to be more effeminate. They, these are softer types of people, people that are drawn into ministry kind of tend to be more on the softer side. And, and I even talk to people that are in seminary school and a lot of people in seminary schools ping softer, more effeminate, they're more emotive. And again, just so no one misquotes me, I'm not saying that all people are that way. It's just, they have a tendency to ping in that direction. And it'd be really hard for you to prove me wrong on that. Um, and just the, the church is a, is a place where uh, men that struggle with same-sex attraction, and that's exactly how we're going to be wording it, uh, men that struggle with same-sex attraction, uh, it, they can come in and feel unchallenged. So so again, I feel like men that struggle with same-sex attraction should always feel welcome, like 100% of the time feel welcome, but a lot of these men just feel really unchallenged to change their point of view or the way that they're living their lives. And there's another good quote here by, by David Morrow, and here it is. It's, why do so many effeminate and gay men attend church? Maybe because the church is one of the few institutions in society where there's no pressure to act like a man. In fact, men are encouraged not to. Where, er, where else can a man express his feminine side and be applauded for it? End quote. I mean, and that's just, that's it right there. And if you think back on some of the people that you've dealt with in the church or some of the people that you've run across that you, you would say that, that, that tends to, to be true for you. Um, and the, the second thing I want to talk about today, again, we kind of looked at what is the problem. The second thing is how did we get here? And this is very, very important. So it's not just look at where we're at right now, but how do we get to this point? So really, when you look back on the history of the church, 2000 years, over 2000 years, the, the church was a place where real men were and where real men wanted to be. And the examples we see from that is is really from the early church. You see uh, leaders of local communities. They are actually leading spiritually for their local communities. You see, you know, Jesus's, uh, you know, his disciples. So his his immediate twelve, and then became eleven, and kind of on from there. Um, you you look at all the other disciples that were immediately there and converted when they saw him. About five hundred people that saw him resurrected, uh, and then we look at the martyrs as well. Like these were some of the most manly, and of course there were female martyrs that were incredibly brave as well. But the men were were so manly. And so robust in their testosterone-filled ways of manhood, and and that's just really where where those people wanted to be. And, and the interesting thing about the early church is it was very fundamentalist. I mean, the, the church had a very fundamentalist. Uh, literal view of the triune God and specifically Jesus. There were no really questions about Jesus's manhood or the things that Jesus does. Uh, But the thing that we see is as time wore on, the church kind of strayed from that fundamentalism. Um, And when you look back on history and church history, it looks like there are two key periods that were really damaging for men overall. And uh, the first period was the Industrial Revolution, uh, and the second were were both of the World War. So Industrial Revolution, think you know, late 18th century, early 19th century, and the world wars were obviously the early 20th century. Um, But the thing about it is when you think about um, the Industrial Revolution, at that time, where were all the strong, able-bodied, masculine men during the Industrial Revolution? I mean, all of those men were working. Those men were in the factories. Maybe they were underground, working in coal mines or doing things in, with oil and gas industry, whatever that may be. And, and that's where all those men, all those very strong, virile men were. 
And and then also, if you think about it, where were during World War Two and and World War One, where were all the strong, able-bodied, masculine men during that time? I mean, they were all fighting. Like they they were all out there fighting, and you never really thought of these people as being highly involved in their churches or in in local ministry during that time because they were either working or fighting. Um, and then we see what I guess I'll call the turn, I, uh, for lack of a better expression. But uh, many of the manly men, I guess, who would have otherwise gone into ministry or had a very, very robust um, attachment to local ministry and to the church, they they died uh, in war or they died in, uh, industrial revolution, you know, revolution related type accidents, mechanical accidents, or maybe they sought other means of employment. Um, they, they struggled mentally coming back from the war, having experienced shell shock. Like it just ministry wasn't on the top of their, uh, list of things that they wanted to go after. And then we look at what happened is if these men are off at war or if these men are working, what's left inside the church? I mean, the only males left inside the church are the young, the weak, or the sickly, right? Or the old. Um, so you're having these uh, these places, these churches, that are becoming very uh, overwhelmed with a female presence. I mean, the, the you might have 85-90% female. And so when you look at these types of places, um, you're, you're looking at a turn in the types of content that was happening. Because again, the manly men aren't there. The the men that are left are, tend to be a little bit more feminine or they're weak or old. So the sermon focus and the content of the sermon started to change. The The music started to change. The, the decoration started to change. As the different types of missional focuses. They all seem to become a little bit more feminine, right? I mean, because I mean, that's the thing is if you look at it from a marketing perspective, obviously if the majority of your target audience is of a particular uh, gender or race or age or persuasion or worldview, you're going to start marketing and catering to those needs. And so the turn that we see, it was, it was gradual, but I'm not sure that it's ever stopped. And, and so let's look at sermon content. So what sermon content tended to be, especially in the early church, it was very truth and justice oriented, or, and you could look at those as more masculine type qualities. And then it moved into more of a grace and forgiveness type of content, which tends to be a little bit more effeminate. And then also look at the music. So uh, I'm going to actually dedicate an entire future podcast uh, episode to the subject of praise and worship music and what that's done uh, to men within the church. But when you when you look at the musical content, we were once singing about singing the praises of the conquering just God. And, and now we're we're just singing about Jesus like he's our boyfriend that we like want to cuddle with them. And even if you look at some of the lyrical content, and again, I'm going to break this down on future podcasts, some of it even comes off as homoerotic. So for some of you guys out there that listen to praise and worship music, and for whatever reason, you're just like, I am not down with this. I don't understand. I feel like I'm supposed to like this, but I don't, uh, I don't feel bad. And we'll get in, get into why, but, but then we look at modern society. We live in maybe one of the most pluralistic uh, relativistic feminist cultures that we've ever seen. And that has really exacerbated some of the issues within the modern church. And, and so when we combine everything that I've talked about in terms of how we got here, we have men leaving the church in droves. Uh, there's rampant fatherlessness all over the United States and really all over the West. And it's at the same exact correlation time in terms of when men are leaving the church. Uh, Christianity overall is losing its standing in the West and, and Christians uh, along with that. And so we just get where we have scores of pussies in the pews. 
just tons of cowardly dudes sitting in the pews wasting away. And, and I know for a lot of you that that's hard to hear, but uh, again, I, I think you know it's true. If, if you really get down to the core of it, you do know that that is true. So the third thing, let's talk about what is Christ-likeness, okay? So uh, what we know about Jesus is Jesus was not a simple guy, right? Jesus was a, a lot of things at the same time. So uh, Jesus, for instance, was 100% grace and 100% truth. So uh, we get that from John 1 and verse 14, and that's where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when some people read this, they see grace in truth and they look at it like a 50-50 relationship. Like, okay, we, we have, you know, I think Andy Stanley did something like this where he had a big jar and he had a, a picture that said grace on it and a picture that said truth in it. And, you know, most people think you just pour 50% of grace in and 50% of truth in, but in all actuality, he was 100% both. Because we talk a lot about modern ministries that are more grace focused, a little bit more of the liberal type ministries, or the ones that are more like regimented and and lawful, and those are the truth ministries, right? But but the thing about the reality of the situation, which was Jesus was one hundred percent both. He didn't just give someone grace without telling them the truth. Right? I mean, when you think about it, and, and he wasn't just telling someone the truth without being graceful towards them as well. So that that was our savior, but at the same time, Jesus is 100% Lamb of God and 100% Lion of Judah, okay? So, and and some of you may have never even heard Lion of Judah before, but I can almost guarantee you, if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard the expression or the naming Lamb of God. So uh, the church, the modern church and its leadership have really done a fantastic job of reminding us of the Lamb of God. Like, you know, all the musical content, we talk about the Lamb. There's been movies made about the Lamb of God, sermon content. Just think about it. How many times have you heard the Lamb of God mentioned in, in modern sermon content? But I want you to think about that same type of expression and think about how many times have you heard your pastor in the last year, or, or really any pastor ever, even mention the Lion of Judah? Just think back to like the last year, if you're active in church, think back to the last year. How many times has your pastor said the Lion of Judah? The actual words, the Lion of Judah. And just just be honest. I mean, when you think of Jesus, so if you weren't thinking about Jesus at the moment, and someone just brings him up and you know, what's your opinion of Jesus, which version of him comes to mind first? Is it the the more palatable lamb, the, you know, the easy to snuggle with lamb, the easy to control lamb, or is it the unpredictable lion? the wrathful, just lion. Um, and the church and its members in a lot of, a lot of ways have forgotten about the lion of Judah. And, and so one thing I want to talk about here is, is I want to talk about who Jesus was. So our savior, our Messiah, who was he and, and what was he like? And so we can go to scripture and find lots of different examples. I mean, if you look at the four gospels, that is so much information about not only what Jesus did, but the character of the man and kind of how he operated. So the first thing I want to look at is in Matthew 10 in verse 34. So I'll read it here. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so that that scripture has been taken out of context quite a bit. So uh, the the Cambridge Bible commentary basically says is this is a contrast uh, rather between union and division than between between peace and war. So we can literally look at it that when Jesus comes, he is causing division. You know, he's even said he causes division within families, division from brother to brother, because the thing about it is 
is there is actual truth and then there's what's comfortable for us to think about and jesus is not as concerned about our comfort as he is about his truth so another thing i want to look at is luke 4 there's a story um, and it talks about jesus casting out a demon uh, with just his voice so this is at the end of luke luke 4 it's uh, verses 31 through 37 and i'll read it right now so here we go and we went down to capernaum a city of galilee and he was teaching them on the sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy one of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done no harm to him. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So, obviously, Jesus, with his voice only, cast out a demon. Like, there wasn't some, like, weird ritual that had to happen. It wasn't like they put a mirror on top of a bed, like in the movie Constantine, and, like, called him out, like, kind of that weird thing. He just said, hey, uh, you're just going to get out of him, and that's really all that's going to happen here. So that's not, that's not bad, right? That, that's, pretty, that's pretty good stuff. But, I mean, let's, let's just keep going. Let's, let's take it up a notch and keep talking about our Savior here. John 11, it talks about when Jesus reclaimed Lazarus from the dead. Um, and so, uh, when, when Jesus arrived post death, the, the Greek word used to describe his expression at the time, it translates to snort with anger. That's what the Greek root word means is to snort with anger. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have definitely snorted with anger before. It was not a pretty sight. Sometimes people are there to watch it and witness. Sometimes they're not, but to snort with anger, that's not just disappointment over your team losing the national title game in the college football playoff. It is a whole different animal, a whole different kind of anger. So let's go ahead and look at the story, uh, and we'll pick it up in John 11, verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped up in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay. He screamed at a dead guy and told him not to be dead anymore. Like how freaking gangster is that? Like Jesus said, you're dead. You're not going to be dead anymore. Like that is crazy. That is our savior guys. But, but even look, look at the words used here. It said that he called out in a loud voice, right? For Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Now the Greek word used for loud here is the same word used to describe the storm that nearly sank the disciples boat in Matthew eight. Like the same 
word. And, and the Greek language is very specific. So Jesus did not casually mention, oh, you know, Lazarus would be, be really awesome if you could just wake up, you know, so all these people start believing in me. I mean, but if it's a, you know, I don't want to impose and I, and I don't want to make it things awkward. Like, no, like he screamed and it was so loud. It was compared to gale force winds and a storm at sea. And really now I want to get into really my favorite scripture story. And that's the one that we see in John two. Uh, and it's in verses 13 through 16. So I'll just go ahead and read it. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Guys, that is my version of Jesus, okay? That is our savior, okay? And, and I don't mean to say like, that's my version and you can't have it. It's like that, that is a real story of something that happened. That is what Jesus of Nazareth, the historical Jesus, who is also happens to be our Messiah and savior. That is who he was. Okay. And, and let's talk about his aggression here in this story. And this is why I love, love this story so much. I mean, the first thing is this was premeditated aggression. Okay. Th- there is no indication that Jesus walked into the temple and already had a whip on him. Right? I mean, I mean, go back and read it again. He didn't already have the whip on him. Like, he, he, he left the temple, went and found one, or maybe even made it, which is even more awesome, and then he came back, right? Like, it was premeditated aggression. This was not something that happened in a very short period of time, unless he, you know, just showed up and tossed a whip down at the door before, before he walked in, but that's not likely. So it was premeditated aggression. And the second thing is it was sustained aggression. When you, when you look at the story, it says he drove out all of the men, the sheep and the oxen. He, he drove them all out of the temple. I mean, there was very likely not a few of them. I mean, the temple was huge and, and the area where he walked in was a huge area. So it's not very likely that there was a few people in that, in that area at that time. And it says he drove out all of them. So it was a very sustained aggression. And the last thing is, is it was a very intimidating aggression. I mean, during this long process, which we've just established, it probably took a while, no one even thought to intervene. And if, if that doesn't blow your mind, just think about, think about your workplace. Like if you work in a place with a bunch of offices or cubicles or something like that, think about if one of your coworkers just started going completely ape, just crazy, throwing tables over, driving people out of, of their offices with a whip or something like that. Just think about how insane of a situation that would be. And I know we got some sheepdogs listening to this podcast. Wouldn't you take action? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you take action on some of your coworkers and try to stop that, try to mitigate the issues? Uh, but what if they were like, I don't know, six foot 10, 400 pounds and completely yoked out of their brains. Would you probably chill on the intervention? I mean, maybe, maybe you're even more baller than, than most people, but you're probably not just going to launch right in and, and have issues and words with that person. Jesus was so intimidating with his aggression at this moment. People didn't even think to intervene. And, and again, I'll, I'll say one more quote here from David Murrow. And, um, it's this, it's quote, the Lion of Judah was very popular in fundamentalist churches as recently as a few years ago, but even here, his son is setting and it's no wonder why. He doesn't seem to be a very good Christian. So just look back and think about the four stories that I just told about Jesus and think, 
are those examples that you would think in the modern church that they would say, if it wasn't Jesus that did them, but maybe it was you that did them, and they were like, oh yeah, that was acceptable. That was what a good Christian would do. And and for most of us, you would answer no, obviously. And you may even yourself, you may hear a story of somebody that maybe did something similar to that, and you wouldn't be accepting of that at all. And I really think, think that that causes part of the problem that we're in right now. So now I want to get into the fourth and most important question, which is how can we redeem ourselves? So, so we've looked at, you know, what the problem is, kind of how we got here. We looked at what real Christ-likeness is, but how can we redeem ourselves from here on forward? And, and I have three suggestions that I'd like to go ahead and throw out. And the first is we need to frame our connection to Jesus accurately. We need to frame it accurately. And so what I mean by this is our connection to Jesus is not a, quote, relationship, okay? That's not how most guys w- would think about a relationship anyway, like it's a discipleship, right? Because most people you'd say, you know, oh, you know, when I entered into a relationship with Jesus, but, but guys don't talk that way. Like you just don't hear guys talk like that. Um, but in a discipleship situation, that is something that we're used to. We're used to following someone's lead, someone who's more experienced or, or stronger or better than us. And look back throughout the New Testament. Jesus said two words often when talking to people, and that was follow me, Right. He he always said, "Follow me." He he didn't say, "Hey, be in a relationship with me, come into an intimate relationship with me." He he didn't say those things. It was "follow me." Again, the word "follow" it's an action word, right? So, we've really got to redeem ourselves by framing our connection to Jesus accurately. That it is about discipleship and not relationship, right? At least not in the normal way that we would frame a relationship. the The second thing that I would say, so that we can redeem ourselves, is that we have to develop into a real biblical man. So, so that's a call for each one of us individually to develop into a real biblical man. So, so I want to draw a delineation from the outset, which is, let's look at what the caricature, I guess, is of modern manhood. So it's, the, it's a four by four truck, the guy who likes to hunt, you know, the, uh, the sports fanatic, the guy who chases women and drinks, you know, bush beer and cusses for no reason. That's kind of the, the caricature of modern manhood. Uh, but for us, we look at biblical manhood as a man that focuses on cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience and toughness. I mean, that's really it. That's why we hit that home so often that we're all about that. But if you focus on cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical toughness and resilience, uh, you are doing things that we've seen some of our heroes from the Bible do. There are stories all over the Bible of men doing something very similar. And I spend a lot of time on that on our 21-day men's devotional on, on the Uversion app. It's 21 days, and it's 21 different stories, and a lot of those are of biblical men and what they were doing to cultivate those things. So uh, the third thing I want to talk about in terms of how we can redeem ourselves is to call other men out. Okay? I mean, we, we've got to frame our connection to Jesus accurately. Yes, we've got to develop into a real biblical man ourselves, but we've got to call other men out. Because the reality, guys, is, is most guys have become comfortable. They become so comfortable with abdicating leadership to other men or even other women. And that's just not in the church. That's also at home, in work, in the community. They're completely okay with saying, yeah, you know, you, you go do it. You go lead these people. You go help these people. I'll go sit here on the couch. I'll play video games. I'll join another intramural league. I'll play another round of golf, whatever the thing is. Right. And, uh, and I know that, that this type of content is, is striking some of you harder than than it may other 
uh, people. But I mean, part of the deal is, is if this particular thing, like calling other men out is, is striking you as difficult, it may be because you're one of the men that needs to be called out. And, and no one likes being called out, right? I mean, no one likes being told when they're overweight that they're overweight and they need to fix it. No one's being told that when they're in mountains of debt that they need to get out of debt and they need to fix it. That's a very convicting type of thing, and most guys aren't comfortable in those types of situations. So again, I just want to reiterate that the way I think that we can start to dig ourselves out of this hole and out of this problem that we've created within the modern church is that frame our connection to Jesus accurately, develop into a real biblical man, and to call other men out. And I just want to clear a few things up here at the end because, you know, I, I've talked to some people about my philosophy and, and sometimes you can get the wrong idea or if you take one thing out of context, it just kind of throws the baby out with the bathwater. So I, I want to make sure that I'm very clear about what I'm saying on a few things. So the very first thing is that I'm not saying that we should ignore the Lamb of God because I know some people will hear this and be like, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't want to talk about the Lamb of God. That's not right. Right. I agree with you. That's not right. But I'm saying that we need to explore the line of Judah more. Because the thing about it is, is, is when we find the line of Judah, we find Jesus. Because he is fully Lion of Judah while he is fully Lamb of God. And you just have to look at it. Look at the places in the world where the gospel is being accepted and that Christianity is exploding at alarming rates. So if we look at China, if we look at Korea, uh, if we look at uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, even in Latin America... Uh, a lot of sects of Christianity are getting even more charismatic and, and deeper and more fundamentalist. And that's the, that's the point, is that the places where Christianity is growing the most are the places where they have a most fundamentalist view of who God is and who Jesus is in relation. And, and really, specifically in sub-Saharan Africa, the reason why Christianity is exploding there because a lot of the African religions have have a lot of very charismatic and otherworldly things that, that they just normally believe in. That's just part of their society, part of their culture, you know, miracles and things that are unexplainable. So, you know, a virgin birth and a guy raised, being raised from the dead is, is kind of, you know, kind of acceptable. That uh, They just don't look at that as some sort of a crazy thing like, oh, I need to have science prove this for me, like we would hear someone say in the West. Um, the second thing that I want to be clear on is that you don't have to be a tough guy to be a modern Christian. Okay. Uh, cause I even talked with one of my, one of my best buddies from college the other day, you know, he was listening to some of my podcasts and some of the interviews I've done on some other podcasts and, uh, you know, read some of our stuff and he was just like, man, you're just not, uh, you're just not appealing to me. Like I'm obviously not your target market. And, you know, I was very curious as to why he would say that because we had very similar upbringings and, you know, both athletes and kind of, um, kind of found church the same way. And, uh, the, the thing about it is, is I guess what he was hearing is that if, if you're not into, you know, guns and hunting and MMA and jujitsu that, you know, undaunted life isn't for you or that, you know, that, that I'm somehow claiming that you can't be a good modern Christian if you're not into those things. But, but I want to be clear, like, yeah, some guys are into, to hunting and, and shooting and MMA and, and, and jujitsu and judo and different things like that. But some guys are into art and classical music, theater, cooking, you know, some of those other types of things. Um, but the, the, the real thing is, is I don't care about what you're interested in. Like, I, I don't care what your hobbies are. I care how you carry yourself. I care how you act. Like, I care how you treat the people that you're around. I care about the amount of life that you're creating in the communities around you. I, I mean, I care how much that how much you work to cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. 
I mean, just look at examples from history. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I, I suggested a um, a doc or a biography rather uh, of Diedrich Bonhoeffer on our 100 books that every modern Christian man should read. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is literally one of the baddest dudes to ever live. But the guy was like a total nerd, like, you know, certifiable bookworm, mama's boy. But the dude tried to kill Hitler. I mean, the dude was insane. So, so again, I don't really care uh, about what the stuff that you're into or kind of, kind of the wiring. I mean, just look at it. If you can quote scripture from memory, but you can't physically protect your family and you're able-bodied and capable of doing so, you are not a strong Christian man. I mean, I mean, the same is true if you can rep out 405 on the bench, but you're too cowardly to intercede on someone's behalf in the spiritual realm, then you're not a strong Christian man. I mean, and even look at it, guys, you know, let's say you've read a hundred books in the last 12 months, but none of those helped you dive deeper into your discipleship journey with Jesus. You're not a strong Christian man. You're, you're missing the mark. And the thing is, is, and I'm not saying that there is a mold of a person of a perfect Christian out there. I am saying that we've accepted what we've accepted as the quote unquote good Christian or the good church guy is wrong. Like it's just flat out wrong. Um, and, and the third thing that I just want to go ahead and, and clear up very quickly is that undaunted life will provide content that helps men seek the line of Judah. I mean, I mean, obviously you hear a sign off with, you know, keep seeking the line of Judah. Uh, you've, you've heard me put that on, on other different things and blogs and you will get plenty of the lamb of God. Okay, like go to any church, read the overwhelming majority of books at your lo- your local Christian bookstore. Um, look at any of the songs that are play on K Love or any of those radio stations. You're getting the Lamb of God. You're getting plenty of the Lamb of God. And and I'll just be open and honest. Like our philosophy isn't for everyone. Like what we talk about and how we talk about is not always palatable. It's not going to appeal to everyone's sensibilities. And and we may be abrasive. And it's because we want to knock off any weak part of you. I mean, just think about it. We hear about iron sharpens iron all the time, right? You hear people say that in church or they'll put that as like the scripture verse for their 6 a.m. Saturday morning prayer breakfast or chili cook off or something like that. But have these people ever really thought about the process of iron sharpening iron? I mean, that is a loud process. There are pieces of metal flying around and breaking off. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. There might be steam involved in these different areas. That's when iron sharpening iron. It's not just a bunch of well-behaved men sitting in a circle talking to each other about their feelings. And there's nothing wrong with sitting in a circle and talking to other guys about what's going on in your life. But good grief, if iron's going to sharpen iron, it's an active process. So so guys, here's the deal. Is if you disagree with me, I'm I'm always looking uh, for, for guys to discuss things with me. I'm always open to discuss things. I mean, hit me up. Info at undaunted life or at info at undaunted dot life is our email. Info at undaunted dot life. But here's the deal. <clears throat> if you disagree with me, but you can't provide evidence for why my philosophy is wrong, then just save it. I, I'm really not interested because again, this is meant to be a wake up call. It's not going to be comfortable for everybody. If it's not comfortable for you, you should dig into why that is. Um, before we move on uh, to the end of the podcast, I just want to do a quick resilience boost. So again, we are a men's Christian ministry. 
Our mission is cultivating manly resilience and specifically we work to provide content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, uh, just the quick resilience boost is going to be on mental and spiritual resilience. And so I've quoted this book several times today, and that's Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Morrow. So uh, I would just highly suggest that you guys add that to your reading list for 2018. But I, I will go ahead and just kind of give you a heads up on this book. Um, it Some of the things in this book are overtly opinionated. So he will say things that are not uh, substantiated uh, with a whole lot of evidence, or maybe he doesn't um, do the most robust job in defending his point of view. He's just kind of uh, re- revealing his opinion. But a lot of the points in this book are substantiated with research. There are a ton of footnotes throughout this. You can tell that the guy researched this. You know, some of the research, just by virtue of, of how research is is developed and released, is a little bit old. And again, this book was written several years ago. Uh, he's he's updated it since, but it's definitely a good thing that I would say that would be a good boost for everyone's mental and spiritual resilience is to read this book, Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Morrow. So thank you as always to the people that listen to this podcast. You know, for some of you, this struck a chord in you. For others, it may have offended you a little bit. I just appreciate you all sticking it out to the end. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave one. That's how this podcast is going to continue to grow if people keep recognizing it as something that they're enjoying. The website is www.undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife and on facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion app. Just search Undaunted Life Under Plans. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 